Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Older veterans with HIV face numerous behavioral health problems, but what prevents them from engaging in mental health treatment? Moore and colleagues attempted to answer this question by identifying key mood, social, and functional correlates of current participation in mental health treatment and barriers to participation in this population. HIV-positive veterans aged 50 years and older receiving HIV-related medical care at the VA San Diego Healthcare System anonymously completed a survey assessing current self-reported mood, social support, daily functioning problems, mental health service utilization, and barriers to participating in mental health services. Participants also completed the two-item patient health questionnaire. The researchers found that older veterans with HIV reporting depressive symptoms are more likely to participate in mental health treatment than veterans reporting other behavioral health problems. Current self-reported depressive symptoms emerged as an independent, significant positive predictor of participation in mental health treatment, whereas anxiety, HIV-related stigma, sufficiency of social support and daily functioning problems were not associated with mental health treatment utilization. Reported barriers to mental health treatment included scheduling and availability, travel time and transportation, and discomfort with group settings. Salary support for this research was supported in part by grants from the National Institute of Mental Health. Long-acting injectable antipsychotic medications are employed universally for the treatment of schizophrenia. This continuing medical education study retrospectively assessed the variables that factor into an individual's adherence to these medications. The data sample was obtained from the adult ambulatory services of a large general hospital mental health center. The sample included 120 women and 178 men ranging in age from 18 to 81 years who received at least one long-acting injectable antipsychotic during a 23-month period. The findings suggest that medication type, frequency of medication appointments, and program type may be key in increasing and maintaining long-acting injectable adherence. It is crucial that mental health providers find ways to support medication adherence in patients with schizophrenia. The authors emphasize that long-acting injectable antipsychotics should not be the last resort for treating schizophrenia, and many patients are adherent with these medications when treated at an outpatient level of care. Also, patients may be more adherent with monthly dosing. Why do people with serious mental illness tend to underutilize preventive health services? To find out, the authors of this study asked 350 people with serious mental illness who are using community mental health services for their perspectives about barriers and solutions to using preventive health services. The authors found that common barriers include consumers not placing sufficient priority on preventive health, physicians not ordering tests, and insurance reasons. Fear, knowledge, and transportation barriers followed closely as the next set of challenges. 
As for solutions, over 40% of the participants reported that they will complete the tests when they are ordered or if they get more information about preventive tests. In addition to improving health insurance coverage and access to primary care in people with serious mental illness, the authors suggest that potential interventions to increase use of preventive health services in this population may include providing patients with more information about preventive health services and reminding doctors to order the tests. Treatment of skin picking disorder is challenging, and most pharmacologic treatments have shown limited success. Could a trial of topiramate help patients with skin picking disorder? In this 12-week open-label pilot study, patients with skin picking disorder were treated with topiramate in a titrating upward dose. Topiramate improved time spent skin picking from 85 minutes to 30 minutes per day. Seven patients were very much improved or much improved on the Clinical Global Impressions Improvement Scale. Scores on the Skin Picking Impact Scale and Skin Picking Severity Scale also improved. The mean response time was about 8 to 10 weeks. Anxiety and depression symptoms improved after reduction in skin picking symptoms. The authors conclude that topiramate appears to be a promising agent in the treatment of skin picking symptoms. However, Double-blind controlled trials are needed to further evaluate safety and efficacy in larger population samples. Greece has been in the grip of a severe economic crisis since 2008, and unemployment rates have tripled. It is well known that suicide attempts and actual suicides increase during periods of recession and austerity. Thus, this study examined the economic crisis in Tiana, Greece in relation to recorded suicide attempts and unemployment rates from 2008 to 2015. The authors investigated the differences between stressors, seasonality, age variance, and suicide method. The results show that the rate of suicide attempts peaked in 2012 and remained relatively high until 2015. The most common method for the attempts was poisoning by medication. In addition, the most prominent stressors related to the suicide attempts were family problems and relationship problems between couples. There was a statistically significant relationship between suicide attempts and unemployment rates. A high proportion of suicide attempts of patients with psychotic syndrome took place during the spring and summer periods, and seasonality of suicide attempts was more prominent in men than in women. The authors stressed that the combination of seasonality and psychiatric illnesses must be considered as a contributor to suicidality. During the medical interview, staff must be persistent in pursuing factors that contributed to any suicide attempt, and risk factors for suicide should be seriously considered but not used as the only severity criteria. Existing cognitive clinical predictors of treatment response are not of sufficient strength to meaningfully impact treatment decision-making and are not readily employed in clinical settings. This study evaluated whether performance on a brief computerized cognitive screening battery would predict responsiveness to usual treatment among adults with depressive disorders in a naturalistic clinical setting. 
The authors hypothesized that better executive functioning and affect perception at baseline would be associated with a greater reduction in depressive symptoms four to six months after treatment initiation. Faster processing speed with inference resolution was a significant predictor of greater improvement in depressive symptoms at follow-up. Contributing variants beyond that explained by baseline depression symptoms and educational attainment. Therefore, inefficient executive functioning at baseline, exemplified by slowed inference resolution, appears to represent a risk factor for poor response to standard treatments. Visual processing speed and accuracy and other retention and inhibition variables did not contribute significant unique variance in the change in depression severity. The author suggests that use of executive functioning assessments in clinics may help identify individuals with cognitive weaknesses who are at risk for not responding well to standard treatments. This work was supported by the University of Michigan Medical Center in Ann Arbor and grants from the National Institutes of Health and NARSAD. Benzodiazepine and Z-drug dependence are frequently comorbid with other substance use and psychiatric disorders. This brief report examines the clinical characteristics and course of benzodiazepine and Z-drug dependence in patients presenting to a tertiary de-addiction center in southern India. Case files of 950 inpatients who reported benzodiazepine or Z-drug use were reviewed. Patients with an ICD-10 diagnosis of mental and behavioral disorders due to the use of sedatives or hypnotics-dependent syndrome currently using substance were included in the study. Alprazolam, nitrazepam, and zolepidem were the most commonly reported drugs of abuse. Alcohol dependence and opioid dependence were present in 22% and 24% respectively. Comorbid psychiatric illness was diagnosed in 39% of patients. Only 16.5% of patients had sedative dependence with no other substance use disorder. There is high comorbidity in this group of patients. Outcome varies significantly between sedative-dependent only and multiple substance-dependent patients. The author suggests that high attrition in these patients should be addressed through follow-up and tracking mechanisms. Palliative care involves action to relieve an end-of-life patient from undue suffering, but it also involves addressing the needs of the patient's family. In this issue's psychotherapy casebook, Dr. Schuyler presents the case of Mrs. A, a 55-year-old woman who is the primary caretaker of her husband and end-of-life patient. Mrs. A must learn how to take care of herself while also caring for her husband. Go to psychiatrist.com to learn more about this important topic. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to find numerous case reports on a variety of topics such as cannabis-induced psychosis and suicidal behavior following a diagnosis of sleep apnea. You can also browse interactive activities from our CME Institute. We update our website weekly with new postings so there is always something new to explore. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings in our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS Soundbites.